welcome to the We Are NTC podcast, a production of NTC Australia and New Zealand. My name is Joseph Wood, and I'm the Dean of Students at NTC and your host for the podcast. Recently, we held our annual Spiritual Deepening Weekend at the All Nations Church of the Nazarene in Auckland, New Zealand. Joining those in person at the church was a small group who gathered in the Brisbane campus chapel and several people joined us online. Our speaker this year was the Reverend Roland Hearn, Field Strategy Coordinator in the Church of the Nazarene for Australia and New Zealand. Focusing on the first letter of John, Roland explored what he called the heart of holiness. Over three evenings, this theme was unpacked and shared with those in attendance. Through the grace of technology, we were able to record these sermons to share with you. This episode features the second evening titled, Children of God and Condemning Hearts. We pray God's blessing on you as you listen. Well, good good evening. It's uh, good to be back together again with, with you this evening. I was reminded as I was preparing for this service uh, tonight, uh, just what a blessing it is that uh, that we get to be together in this way, and and what a gift um, NTC has given us uh, in the form of the spiritual uh, deepening weekend that uh, was started a number of years ago. It's one of those things that has that is leading the way in helping us to discover that uh, we are a field, Australia and New Zealand. We're um, Church of the Nazarene. We're a field. Um, NTC is uh, is our college. Uh, we belong to each other, and uh, part of the emphasis of uh, of NTC and and communicating effectively to us that that we belong to each other is 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 having the messages start from here and go back there, not not the other way around as they have been um, in the past. We really do need to be praying for our college in these days. Uh, we obviously are looking for a new principal, so uh, so please keep our college in prayer um, that uh, God uh, leads us to an understanding of who uh, he, um, will make the best uh, principal at this time in our existence. One of the things that events like this um, remind us of, and when they remind us that we belong to each other, is they remind us that we are a part of this of this international dream that started when uh, numbers of churches came together in the US in the early 1900s. The thing that drew them together was this dream that love changes the world and uh, that there are lots of things that we could debate about, lots of things that we could even argue about. But once we've settled the question that love has transformed our hearts and um, there is this immediate desire because love has changed our hearts to change the world and that dream has has stretched out from those days and and to this and the and the uh, amazing thing that happens um, in the midst of that dream is every time we come together we we discover a new empowering of those of that dream earlier this year we had our very first ever palace gone uh, in in Queensland, um, that is the leaders and spouses coming together to celebrate the God's call upon us as a field. 
And that was a great time of, of gathering together. We are in the process of beginning to organise the next one, which will be a couple of years down the road. But that was a chance for us to come together. We have had uh, regional conferences, Asia-Pacific region. We get together. Anytime we get together, we sense the power of God moving and, and stirring within us and calling us again to that dream to change the world. And then, of course, we've just finished a, a month or so ago our General Assembly where Nazarenes came together from all around the world and celebrated the fact that we are a part of this amazing dream. There was somewhere between, I've heard different numbers, uh, somewhere between ten and 15,000 people gathered for Sunday morning service. Um, and it was, it was quite a remarkable event to sit in that in that. In that environment with this intense uh, praising of God um, in, the, uh, in the middle of that uh, arena. It was just a remarkable thing. But then this urgency about going out again and living the dream, living the dream of, cha of changing the world. And it is true that that is what unites us. And very often, um, in church life, being doing church, being the church, we can sometimes get isolated and disconnected from that dream. And we can start to look inwards and, and look in upon ourselves and see our own struggles and our own problems in our own space. And in doing that, we can even become negative about the, part of, about the fact that we are a part of this grand dream. We can become negative about our, our leadership and we become negative about each other. And we can, we can start to separate churches out and, and find ourselves disconnected from each other. And, and the reality is, for us as Nazarenes, that's an incredibly sad thing. And there's only one remedy of that. And that's the love and the power of God that draws us together, that pulsates within our very being and, and calls us to look high, to look far, look wide and see a world that desperately needs um, the loving arms of our Saviour to adequately wrap around them and bring transformation to their lives. That's who we are as Nazarenes. And so when we come together this evening in this way, let's be reminded of that that we gather for this event because of that dream. And NTC is creating this opportunity, but it is that dream that draws us together this evening. And with that in mind, I would like to invite you to stand with me to read the word. If you, would, if you would, uh, wouldn't mind standing with me as we read the word of God together. I'm reading from uh, John chapter 1. Uh, two, sorry, picking up from where we finished up last night in just the first few verses of chapter 3. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. For we shall see him 
as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let us pray. Loving Lord Jesus, as we return to your word, it is our desire that you would speak to our hearts with clarity, that we would hear your Holy Spirit empowering us to understand your um, love for us. We invite you into this space and we ask you to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm a broken human being. I've got problems. I've got struggles. Some of, some of them I've struggled with my whole life. Others are more recent. Like my foot is just hurting like crazy at the moment. It's been, and it's been hurting for about uh, three months, probably actually longer than that. And any time I uh, do too much exercise, my, hurt, my, my foot hurts. So I've decided I'm not going to exercise anymore as a way of getting out of that. But I did walk up the stairs and that starts my, my foot hurting. Um, that's a part of my brokenness. That's my, that's my human being. My body is aging. It's looking towards the end, right? And so my foot just keeps me, me, reminding me where I am on the journey. But I have other brokenness that, uh, that is um, not always apparent, um, but people get to see the effects of it. You know, we all carry uh, within us a fear that we aren't quite good enough. And we've all find, found ways of managing that fear. And we interpret that fear in different ways. For me, that fear that I'm not quite good enough has manifested itself in uh, a construct, a, a psychological construct where I feel like I need to be competent in any situation in order to be loved. I like to be in control. I like to know what's going on. I like to be able to manage my problems and I like to be able to uh, appear competent no matter what happens. I'm the kind of person that if I have a very important appointment, I will go to the appointment uh, the day before or sometime before just so I know where everything is and how I can get there so I, so I won't get there late and I won't look like um, that I'm not competent to, to uh, uh, do whatever required of, my, of, of, uh, of me in that, in that space. In fact, uh, when I returned to university to study my degree in psychology, I, um, I went a couple of times before the university started so I could make sure I knew where all the classes were. I didn't want to uh, uh, be the last one in the class. I didn't want people laughing at me, pointing at me, because I'm old and they're all young, and I didn't want anyone pointing out to me how, how incompetent I am. So that manifests itself in my life in a number of different ways. In fact, the interpretation, which is completely wrong, but this is going to help you um, wrestle with what's going on in your life, if you can relate to what's going on in mine. The issue in my mind is that if I'm not competent, then people will see that I'm less than good enough. And when they see that I'm less than good enough, they'll still see the real struggle in me, which is that I'm worthless. I'm not good enough. That's the, that's the psychological struggle playing out in the background. So let me tell you a story that um, reflects that quite adequately, actually. 
So my family and I had the chance to, uh, to uh, move to America and to start a church, start a church from absolute scratch. It was Nazarene Church, of course, on the Dallas district. In the, uh, it's now called the North uh, East District of Tex- in Texas, but then it was the Dallas district. And uh, we, we were invited to go and move into a little tiny community on the northern end of Dallas called Frisco. A couple of years before we got there, it was about 8,000 people. When we moved there, it was about 25,000 people. When we left uh, six years later, it was about 33,000 people. And today, if you go there, that little town is now a town of 250,000 people. Right on the very end edge of Dallas, it's a, obviously a growing um, suburb or city. And, uh, and uh, we were thrilled with the opportunity to plant this church. But there was a thing that we never really, um, we, we never really understood until we got there. Texas, even though it's in the southern parts of the U.S., can get very cold, and we had never we had never experienced cold like what we had in Texas. In fact, our first winter there, there were three days in a row, one after the other, where the maximum temperature was below zero, where the maximum temperature was below freezing. The maximum temperature, can you believe that? Never, we've never experienced anything like that. Um, and, uh, and, and Texas is a place where Americans go to get away from the real cold. But that was, this was cold on, a, on another level for us. I remember walking out into the backyard um, for whatever reason, I'm not sure now. But as I walked out, I noticed that the dog's water bowl was frozen solid. And um, I'd never seen such a thing. It wasn't just a little bit of ice on the top. It was frozen solid. So I called the family out and I said, guys, come out here, have a look at this. Come and have a look at this. So here we were, all in the backyard, standing in a little arc, look, staring there, looking at, the, at the, the ice in the bowl, paying homage to the reality that uh, water can freeze solid if it's left out in such an environment. And we were, we were quite amazed by that fact. Well, in America, as I'm sure is true here, um, many places have fireplaces. Increasingly, fireplaces are becoming a, a, an item of, uh, of, um, of interest in, in Queensland. But I had never grown up with a fireplace. I'd never used a fireplace before um, in, in my life on a regular basis. And the thing with having a fireplace when it's cold is you have to clean the fireplace out, right? And so... Um, I, uh, I was, it was my task to clean the fireplace out in the morning. One of the, one of the unusual ways that my mind works is I always like to try and find a different way of doing things. I'm always sure there's a better way of doing things, which when you put that together with my need to feel incompetent, uh, need to not feel incompetent can, can make for some challenging situations. The desire to try and do something differently but appear like you have everything under control can be a problematic construct, uh, to say the least. Nevertheless, I'm cleaning out the fireplace and I'm thinking to myself, well, there must be a better way of doing this because I've got this little pan shovel, I'm digging out the ash and, I, and the soot and I'm dropping it in a bucket and I think to myself, you know what? I'll bet I could do this a whole lot quicker if I vacuum out the soot and the dust and the ashes. So I went and I got my vacuum cleaner and I plugged it in 
And I started to work on sucking those, that, those ash and, and soot out of things. It worked quite well. But have you ever been camping and, uh, and had a fire and gone to sleep at night and it's, and it's died down? The way that you, you don't have to light a new fire, what you do is you blow on the coals. And if there's enough heat there, those coals will come back to life and you can build a, a beautiful big fire just by blowing on the coals. Do you know the same thing happens when you suck as when you blow? And so if you've got a vacuum cleaner sucking up coals, now those coals are becoming red hot. And I'm looking at my vacuum cleaner and these coals are shooting up the hose and, and I can see them going up inside through the hardened plastic. I can see these, these red hot embers flying up the, up the vacuum cleaner. And I think to myself in all my wisdom, that can't be good. And so I turn around and I look at the vacuum cleaner and there's smoke coming out of the back of the vacuum cleaner. So I quickly pull it out of the wall and I, and I open it up and the bag is, is literally on fire. There's, there's, there's smoke coming up out of the dust bag. So I grab the dust bag and I throw that in the little bin that I've got and then I run out the back and I dump it into my wheelie bin that's sitting out the back. Just jump it in there, drop the hood on it and, uh, and that's the end of that. Well, about uh, 10 minutes later, my wife comes home and, and, uh, and she comes into the, into the kitchen area and she says, why is our rubbish bin on fire? And I go running outside and here's the, here's the wheelie bin leaning on one side like this and this hole beginning to grow in the bottom of the, of the wheelie bin and there's smoke coming out of this wheelie bin. So I go running into the house and I say, get some water, get some water. So I, I fill up the biggest container that I've got. I can't remember, it wasn't that big. And I rush out there and I, I, I chuck the water in, but that's not enough. So I, I run back inside again. And when I get back inside again, um, Emmy is calling emergency services. And uh, I think that she's just started the phone call, right? So I can't, I can't seem incompetent. That would that would be horrible if people saw that I had made this mistake. That would be a terrible thing. So I'm not having, the, I'm not having emergency services know that I, I, I sucked up coals and put, and put them into the rubbish bin. I'm not having that. So I rush over and I hit the, the button on the, on the phone and shut the call off. Well, apparently, with the American emergency system, call system, as I'm sure is true of most emergency call systems when you call they know where you are and so immediately um, they are putting into action a response and so I'm sitting thinking I got away with this nobody knows you know what an idiot I am and uh, and a few minutes later these sirens go whoop 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 and down the road comes these three fire engines tearing down the road towards their house, announcing to everybody that there's an idiot inside, right? So then um, I, these, these fire trucks pull up out the front and, and these firemen with their masks on and their axes leap out of the truck and come running up to the house. No knocking, they just open the door and come charging in. They run through, where's the fire, where's the fire? Well, it's out the back. They go running out the back and they find the, the rubbish bin on fire and they, they tip it up 
and they shake it all out and they've got these metal things and they stamp out all the fire until they, they make sure every single little tiny uh, ash is out, right? Meantime, all of the neighbourhood is watching out their windows and seeing what's going on and, and are absolutely certain that there's an idiot that lives in that space. And, and then they, um, they turn around and they leave. And I say to them as they're going, well, who's going to clean this up? And they say, you are. Those are the consequences of being stupid. So I did what I had to do. But here's the, here's, here's the thing. It's, it's in that space that we discover, start to discover a truth about ourselves. You and I, mine are quite visible, but you and I have these defence mechanisms that we've built to try and protect our hearts from people seeing what's really in there. Because we're all convinced that what's really in there is not good. Why are we like that? Well, we talked a little bit uh, last night about, about the fall and, uh, and sin. And the reality is that when Adam and Eve sinned and they broke relationship with God, their, their centre of their being was now outside of relationship with God. They were broken. And theologians call that, that dis-centeredness, that, that, that centre being outside of relationship with God and a centre that focuses in on itself, that focuses in on appeasing everything that the self wants, we call that sin, the sinful nature. And that sinful nature, um, every human being struggles with. But the way that we carry that around in our lives, the way that we live out our every daily uh, life is in a space called shame. Shame is the daily lived out experience of the brokenness of our humanity. And the, the truth is that sh it is shame that causes us to try and hide. It is shame that leads us to defensiveness. It is shame that leads us to broken uh, relationships. Now, shame may not be all there is to say about the sinful nature, but shame is the space that you and I live out the reality of the fact that, that we are born in brokenness. And all of us are in that space of trying to manage that reality. Do you know that, uh, that neuroscience now tells us that when we think a thought over and over again, it actually begins to create a, a neural groove in our brain. It gets easier and easier to think the same thought. One of the best um, evidences of that is learning to drive a car. When you first get into a car, you don't know how to drive that car. But after a, after a little bit of practice and learning, then all those complicated procedures that come to drive a car seem to fit naturally and we get into a car and we don't even have to think about it anymore. That's because our brain has, has made grooves, thought grooves, that don't have to be actually processed, they just happen automatically. So imagine what happens when you're born without the relationship with God that you were designed to have. You were born without 
the experience of love that was supposed to shape and nurture your sense of self. Every single day from the moment that you're born, thoughts fire in your brain that talk about your inadequacy, your worthlessness, your hopelessness, your, your uh, lack of, um, you, that you don't fit in, that you're inappropriate, that you don't belong. Those thoughts all f flow through our brain because we were born without that centre of love that we were supposed to have. And it shapes our brain that way. So when God comes to us and brings his grace to us and we ask for forgiveness of sin, we discover that we, have a, we are born into a new life when by faith we receive that reality. But the truth is that nothing has been done about the core of our brokenness, that sinful nature. Our sins are forgiven, we're on our way to heaven, but that core still exists and it still fires thoughts down that pathway and it still keeps, it continues to communicate us. And so when John writes these words, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. He is doing something that is vitally important for you and I. He is reminding us who we really are. We are children of God. Our general superintendent was with us um, last November for district assembly uh, at, at our most recent, um, David Graves, at our most recent general assembly on a Sunday morning preached from this passage. My goodness, I, I wish that, uh, that I could preach um, as well as he did. He did a, uh, a wonderful job, an amazing job of unpacking what it means that God has lavished love upon our lives. If you um, desire to see that, go and find the link on the, on the Church of the Nazarene General Assembly uh, site and look at that message. It will help you to understand how much God loves you and has lavished love on you. How much, so how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God because that is what we are. So the truth is that our brokenness will always try to tell us that we are hopeless, that we are useless, that we are worthless, that we are abandoned, that we're alone, that we're not good enough, we're not attractive enough, we're not um, competent enough, we're not... Uh, we're not um, this, we're not that. Whatever it is that our minds gravitate towards to try to, to align with that brokenness, that is coming from a nature that is born outside of relationship with God. But we are reminded that God's love has been lavished on us. I love the fact that John says lavished. It doesn't say given to us. He says lavished on us. God lavished love on us, poured out his love on us. The truth is that the starting point of faith is the love of God calling us to himself. We see our sin in light of his love and we experience the guilt of our sin and we ask God for forgiveness. And as soon as, as soon as we enter into the family of God, we have access to now understanding this love that, that God has for us. 
And John says that, um, that we know that when he appears, when Jesus returns again, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone that has this hope, in him purifies himself just as he is pure. It's an intriguing phrase, this phrase purifies himself. There is this sense of, of us from that scripture doing it for ourselves. But John is very, very aware that we can't do that ourselves. We can't purify ourselves. So when he is saying that, that we, we purify ourselves, he is literally saying that we choose to surrender to this lavish love. That by faith we believe that God loves us in this lavish way and we surrender to him. And the things that we struggle with in order to, to appease our own brokenness, we lay at his feet and we purify ourselves because we shift our focus from our brokenness to his love. And there is this transformational reality that God calls us to along the pathway of making us ever increasingly like Christ. He calls us all to a moment where we choose to believe that we are the children of God and that he lavishes his love on us and whatever our minds say to us, we reject utterly if it's not consistent with that. And this is the experience that is, so, that is so precious to us in our theological faith. This understanding that God can fill our hearts with his love, that he can transform the core of our identity, that we can live out of this space where, where God's love overwhelms us. This process from the moment that we are born again until the moment that we die of being increasingly made like Christ is theologically called sanctification. That's literally what sanctification means, being made holy, being made like God. And it's a process that begins at the point of conversion and it carries through all of our life. But there is a point where you and I stall in that place. It's the point where we choose to hold on to the image that was constructed in our brokenness. And that's the thing that separates us from the life filled with love to the life that is filled and dominated by a sense of worthlessness is the choice to abandon our identity to him. And this is never an easy thing because our identity is the only thing that we know. It's the only way that we know the world. It's the only way that we know ourselves, an identity that's born in brokenness listen to what John says dear children do not anyone let anyone lead you astray he who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning he is saying that that this sinning flows out of what's in us we do what is right because we are righteous. We do what is sinful because we belong to the devil, because our lives are committed to that brokenness. And so the things that we do are, are, are not the focus. They, they are the evidence of the reality in which we live. And, and as we start to recognize this truth, we recognize sin and sinfulness is much less what we do and it is who we are. He goes on, 
The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works, the devil's works. No one who is born of God will continue to sin. No one who is born of God that is, that is transformed in their hearts continue to sin. The, the heart is not given to the way of sin. Now, technically, the reality is that from time to time, the people of God do sin. But it's not the continuous desire of the heart. The continuous desire of the heart is to know God. And so continuing in sin is to continue in that space of living out of our brokenness rather than living out of the love of God. This is how we know we are the children of God. Uh, we are the children of God. Um, this is how we know that we are the children of God and, um, and who's the children of the devil. Uh, anyone who does not do what is right is not the children of God, nor anyone who does not love his brother. This is very black and white language, but what John is pointing to is the is the origin of our reality, the origin of our sense of being, the way that we see ourselves, the way that we live out our lives is reflecting of, of the very heart of who we are. This, the theme of, the, of this weekend is the heart of holiness. And the heart of holiness actually is the transformed life. Holiness as far as as you and I know it, not as, not as far as God is concerned, but the holiness with which we live is the holiness of a heart that has been transformed, the heart that is no longer in brokenness, but the heart that has been transformed so that we might be like Christ. It is a transformation of our identity, and we can only know such transformation by faith. We trust God. We believe God is who he says he is. This is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. That's the original message. We love one another. Do not be like Cain. And he goes on to tell this story of how Cain killed his brother. It's a fascinating story, the story of Cain. Here these two guys are out. They're doing, they're doing their stuff. They're doing their life. And it comes a time to give an offering. Um. Abel, it seems, gives an offering according to that which is requested of him. Cain does it his own way. Cain says, I will satisfy my need to be competent. I will satisfy my need to be in control. I will satisfy my need to be acknowledged and honoured. That I will get worth my way. And his offering is not accepted. And as a result... He kills Abel. He is so angry at his brother because his brother received honour, worth, and he didn't receive it. And so John goes on to equate anger with murder. There are two things that are along, along the, same, the same line. The anger that I am not honoured, that I am not um, recognised, that I do not receive the dignity the anger that flows from that place is the same anger that leads to murder. And this is how we know what his love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth 
and how we, are, we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. This, here's this amazing scripture right in the middle of this, of this passage reflecting on, this, on the life that has been laid down and being transformed. This is how we know that God loves us. He sent his son to die for us. And so many of us have constructed the idea of Christ's crucifixion in terms of, a, the, of the great legal battle that takes place with God that says that, he, that, 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 um, that we have sinned and that there must be a sacrifice for our sin. Now that surely is a part of it because scripture says that it is a part of it. But Jesus did not die on the cross simply to satisfy a legal action. He died on the cross to show you what your life is worth. And because God loves us, he sent his son. Because God loves us, he sent his son to die for us. That his love would not simply be an echo from the eternities that says, I love you, I love you. I love you, but it would, be a, it would be a love that steps out of eternity and says, you know how much I love you because this is what you are worth to me. You are worth more than my own life. I give my life to you to tell you what you are worth. And that is the truth even when our hearts condemn us. Even when our thoughts continue to tell us we're not good enough, we're inadequate, we, we don't belong, we don't fit, we're not attractive enough, we're not smart enough, we're not healthy enough. Even when our th thoughts condemn us, God is greater than our thoughts and he knows everything. So when he stepped out of eternity and stepped into this world, the transaction that took place was the swapping of our shame for his glory. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was initiating for all of his listeners a, a series of Psalms that speak, start with that very idea, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, trans and, and go all the way through 22, 23, 24 to the point that says, I will trust you. And so when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The hearers are understanding that Jesus is saying precisely the opposite. God hasn't forsaken him. That God is there with him and will be his deliverer. But the emotion, the sense of reality is at, at the starting point is this sense, I'm abandoned, I'm alone, I'm forgotten. And so when Jesus cries that out, he takes on all of human shame, all of those words, and he embraces them all and says, I am here in this place of shame so that you will know that your shame is not the final word. Your sins are forgiven and you are, and you are being offered freedom from the power of shame in your life because when he dies, he commits his spirit to the Father 
And when he rises again, he rises as the all-conquering Christ, love as victor. And so John says, even when our hearts condemn us, that doesn't deny the fact that God loves us and has shown us what our hearts are worth. And when we speak back into that space, our hearts submit, our hearts surrender. Those, those thoughts that have worn that, treaded, that often tread trail in our brain still exist even when our hearts have been purified. But now we are laying down new thoughts over the top of them. And they are new thoughts that would say, see how, far, how much the Father loves us, that he, that he calls us his children and he lavishes his love upon us. Dear, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. Because our hearts are made right, what we do reflects who we are. And this is the command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commands us. Though those who obey his commands live in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. And so the truth is that every one of us here, everyone listening online, wherever we are, God is calling us to a moment where we understand that he has given us his Holy Spirit that when I surrender my identity to him, that no longer does my brokenness speak to who I am, but his love speaks to who I am. And I claim that space in him. I surrender all of the things in my life that give me identity, my hopes, my dreams, my desires, my longings, my victories, my education, my career, my family, my church, my theology, give them all to him. And I say, Lord Jesus, nothing that is good for me is worth what you are worth to me. You will be my number one source of understanding who I am. And then we take all of our fears and our failures and our struggles and our abandonment and our loneliness and our lostness and our failure and our emptiness and our worthlessness and we gift them to God and we say, these things still speak to me and tell me who I am. I give them to you. These things will no longer define who I am. But you will define who I am. And theologically, we call that transaction entire sanctification. But the evidence of that, as John points out here, is twofold. Number one, it is the Holy Spirit living in us, telling us constantly, you're my child. I desire nothing more but to lavish love on you. And he's overriding those thoughts. The second is this, we love one another. We live constantly to communicate to each other what we are worth. Church, God is calling the Church of the Nazarene, back to a space of holy love, back to a dream to change the world, 
back to a dream that would that would see lives transformed not by not by magic and fanfare but by the love of God transforming the human heart our space in the world is not one of simply endurance and holding on the space that we live in, the space that God has called us to occupy is a space of radical optimism that believes that love transforms to the uttermost. And there is no place in that for churches that, that fight with each other, people that fight with their, for their rights within, within a church community, for people that are willing to disparage the good name of others to get their own way. just doesn't exist because we're overwhelmed by the love of God. We love God so much in response to his love for us that we can do nothing else than to love those around us. And so the heart of holiness is this transformed reality. It's not the things we do. It's the heart that we live with because the things that we do flow from that heart. And God is calling us to our knees once again. Maybe we've created our own sense of what the church is. We've created our own sense of what the church is for us. It's this lovely place where we go and worship God and, we, we, and it's, uh, it's a nice place to be. But it's mine and I'll keep it the way I want it to be. To a, transform to a place where we are overwhelmed constantly by the love of God. And in the space of that love, we cannot miss an opportunity to pour that same grace out on one another's life. What an extraordinary possibilities we have before us. Extraordinary opportunity to be the people of God. God is calling you and I to a place of relationship with him where our lives are lived out love. Love for him, love for each other, and love for ourselves. Gone is the brokenness. Gone is the picture of our worthlessness and, and, uh, and our need for competency. Present is the overwhelming, lavished love of God. The struggles that we have from day to day are simply a matter of submitting those struggles to his love. Once we know that our identity has been transformed in him, the journey ahead of us is one of delight and one of thrill. I would invite you here this evening, online, wherever you are, to simply close your eyes. And we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. But the, but the prayer that we will pray this evening, can I ask you to keep praying, to keep praying through the days ahead, that we might become the glorious church that God has called us to be, that we might see New Zealand and Australia transformed by the power of his love because God's people are so overwhelmed by his love that they can't do anything else but love effectively those around us. God's love is winsome. God's love is glorious. And our world needs his love like it's never needed it before. And you and I are in a space where we get to live out that glorious love. Would you pray with me? Our loving Lord Jesus, as we gather in your presence tonight, and I don't know where everyone that's listening to this message is, some here on Dominion, Dominion Road in Auckland, New Zealand, there's some in NTC, there's some in other places. 
But Lord Jesus, can we call tonight a night of revelation for us? Can we see again your love for us? Your overwhelming, glorious love that has been lavished on us. Lord Jesus, we come to you now and we bring our burden. We bring our victories and our hopes, our dreams, our desires, our, our successes, our finances, our family, our friends. All the things that I imagine do give me a sense of who I am positively. And I lay them at your feet and I say, thank you for these gifts, Lord Jesus. But any, every one of them can be taken away. I want you to be my source of identity. I know those things from time to time will speak into that space. But I want you to be the one that ultimately declares who I am. And I take all of my brokenness, all of my fear, all of my pain, all of the things that drive me, even church work, and being good enough in the, ch in the church, adequate to do what is right. I take all of those things, my failures, my brokenness, my shame, my abandonment, the tragedies that I've experienced in my past, the abuse, that has spoken so powerfully into my life. The fear, the rejection, the loneliness. And I lay them at your feet, Jesus, because I know every one of those tells me something that's just not true. It tells me I'm worthless. And Lord Jesus, I surrender it all to you. I consecrate to you all that I believe that I am. And I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your lavish love. Empower me to be the person that you call me to be. Let the life that I live out be a lived out revelation of the transformation that is within. Lord Jesus, would you sanctify your people wholly by your presence? Would you speak into all of our lives this opportunity? to hear and now, in this moment, claim by faith your sanctifying grace that would entirely transform my understanding of myself. I know the journey ahead is one of continued transformation, and for that I praise you. But I know that that transformation cannot be complete if I don't, in these moments, surrender all to you. Thank you, Jesus, for the clarity of your love to me. Lord Jesus, would you raise us up in these days? The Church of the Nazarene in Australia and New Zealand is a people that will boldly declare the abundant, lavish love of God and walk with those still in their brokenness to the point where they, know, they find you and find the reality of who they really are. For your glory, we pray. For your grace, we pray. For the lavishness of your, the understanding of the lavishness of your love, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about the college, please check us out online at ntc.edu.au. 
and you can follow us on Facebook. We hope to see you again in a future episode.